podcast episode seven implying therefore that we have survivors from episode six floating on the hopefully the wreckage of their minds smashed up against the rocks mushed into the sand One thing that you have to come to grips with as a novelist that's not it's not apparent when you first give it a give it a go and you're never really quite sure until the whole thing is set you know if it's working or not and of course usually it isn't so you go back and you edit but the thing is that you you can't cram every you know if you just you could right you could do the the Hemingway what is it the six word short story call it good phone it in and go home but as as a novelist a big piece of the art is in giving much, much more than you could otherwise possibly do by way of well, the structure, you know. You you adhere to the structure beginning, middle and end, and you trust it and you use recursion therefore within so that beginning, middle, and end is being mirrored on the level of the chapter, on the level of the paragraph, and the sentence. Many other tools are available to you at the level of the sentence. You know, this is my favorite level where I get the most satisfaction but that satisfaction is ultimately sort of dependent upon my vision of the whole, even if I don't know entirely where it's going. I, you know, you usually have a vague sense, right? There's only so many stories. Some have said 36, some have said whatever. Um... But whatever category you could reduce it down to, it's that level of the sentence, the paragraph, and your your personalization, your involvement, your investment into the structure itself. You know, 
and making the structure i mean it's maybe it's maybe it's one of these you know simple but not easy things it's more than that you know it's not that's not been my experience it's um the temptations are so great the entire during the whole experience of the creation which can go on many years and you take some and then you you scrap them and one of those temptations you know is to is to not put anything out there because well fuck it i'm just going to scrap it anyway it's just going to be one more you know like it's like going to the gym i mean which time is it at the gym that you finally get there you know you never really you see improvement of course over years and then maybe you take a break and those are kind of your your bookends or your your book covers but probably a pretty shitty analogy there but um you know I had a thought speaking of the gym today <clears throat> as I was walking into the very well used and regularly cleaned, but evidently not regularly enough, uh, bathroom at the gym. And that hot, warm, pungent, concentrated essence of ammonia, creatine, seed oils, God knows what it is, that waft of piss hit me from probably... 18, 20 feet away, you know. And it, it struck me that if, if you're not convinced of your, your status as cattle just yet, take note of, um, of the next time you roll into a public bathroom. You know, maybe you maybe you haunt swankier places than I do, and so you've eliminated this experience from your life. But take a walk on the wild side. You know, pull over at a truck stop sometime, and uh, convenience store, what have you. I try and avoid all these places myself, but man, if that is not somewhat akin to the experience that cattle must have pissing in these giant lagoons at the feedlots of liquid shit and piss. It's certainly a lot closer to it than, um, you know, any civilized human should, should ever find himself. And it, by civilized... You know, we imagine Jim Bridger, Kit Carson, true heroes of the American dream, pissing in places that no man ever had pissed before, or at least a high likelihood of it being so. And... uh Maybe that's truly civilized.
I know the definitional particulars don't quite work out, but we take civilized man to be the height of of mankind, you know. And that um it can't be it can't be for the best. So I come to you once again this evening. in the war horse fitted with my tomahawk my bench made my operator and my sig feels good feels very good and you know we're coming off of what for me is kind of the real jumping off point. Back to structure. You're taught as a screenwriter that, and you can test this, you know, with pretty much any movie, nine out of ten of them anyway. At exactly 15 minutes into the movie, you will have the jumping off point. Some of this has been messed with of late, Experiments in in uh, Marvel and such have tried to compress certain aspects of the um, the standard hero's myth as put forward by the arguably pretty great uh, Joseph Campbell, who, um, if God favors me, I'm going to get into a little bit tonight as a way of as the novelist does. getting you uh hope you know maybe out of the quagmire that that you were dropped in in the last chapter um i hope that doesn't feel condescending it's certainly not meant to be it's more you know a result again of the way my brain has been built and the way that i've actively built it the extemporaneous nature of these podcasts and you know the uh, the substantial um, irregularities of 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 mind in in general these days, but you know. So, in nine times out of ten, as said, um, you'll have your hero and you'll have a reluctant hero. You think of Luke on. Uh, the desert planet, Tatooine. Um, what's another example? I watch so few movies now um, that I'd be hard pressed to think of anything. We should we should make Spartan by David Mamet mandatory viewing, and then we would have this common language, and. Um, as subscribers come on, you know, in force, um, and the royalties roll into David Mamet down there in Santa Monica or uh, Vermont or wherever he is currently located. Maybe he'll have to stop and wonder why why the extra change in his pocket. I don't know, but um, 
really a great movie. And part of the greatness is that he not only adheres to the strictures of the structure, um, that's Mammoth's whole thing. You know, he, he says that he basically outlines, and he ri he's written novels, plays, short stories, nonfiction, essays. And I think most famously, you know, he's a, a director and, and screenwriter. Um, Wag the Dog for the Conspiracy Crowd uh, is his work. The Untouchables for the classics guys out there was also his work. Lines such as, um, they put one of yours in the hospital, you put one of theirs in the fucking morgue. That's David Mamet. I think we used one of his lines uh, in recent episodes from uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. So that's how he does it. He outlines the um, the logic, the step-by-step -step, uh, for his hero. And then he goes back and he, you know, to him, he says, you could do all the rest of it in a day. Maybe, maybe he really does work like that. I, I tend to think that's um, hyperbole, a way to make his point. But um, Spartan, you find that you know, if you've read that book, um, Three Uses of the Knife, he's, he's talking about condescending. I mean, he's just toying with the audience and the in crowd at that point because he's using lines and, uh, you know, long story made short, Val Kilmer's character has this knife that's was later reproduced into reality and I've still yet to get one but I am going to get my hands on one someday it's just a it's one of those things where you're like god I, I don't need it but I I still have to have it and um, he's got this very bitchin auto knife and anyway he uses it three times in the film Spartan which right there we have the title of the book, The Three Uses of the Knife. As I recall, that title uh, echoes the, the blues man's refrain. Um, the blues man, what does he do? He uses the knife to... Something like eat his lunch, do his work, and cut his woman's throat, or, or something like that. The three uses of the knife. In a way, you have here encapsulated again the, the recursive structure of all of these things. And um, at this point, you know, we as the heroes in this dream are maybe less reluctant to jump off into into the story, into the unknown, um, the adventure. Modern day screenplays, you know, this is all just kind of artificial. It's all just reverse engineered and I actually was very disheartened, you know, when I learned to write screenplays, I I had no idea. 
I was so sheltered. And then I came to under, I did all the tests, you know, I watched movie after movie after movie with a, with a stopwatch. Fuck. 14 minutes and 48 seconds, the story begins. 15 minutes and two seconds, the story begins. You know, the jumping off point. So for us on this podcast journey, episode six, seven, maybe on up to 10, you know, who knows how long this will go. I was talking to my wife earlier and, and saying, I mean, why would I stop, you know? As Jillian Welsh said, everything is free now. They figured it out that we'll do it for we'll do it for free. You don't have to fucking pay us. So the jumping off point for the Warhorse podcast, if I were to try and summarize it and build a handrail, is is this notion that, you know, it's the, and I feel I'm on firm ground here. It's the, um, the lullaby, the little kids. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. We seem to have taken this lullaby in, you know, who knows? I mean, I've said before, I'm not a fan of these historical sweeping explanations. And even though I probably fall prey to them and I probably make them at times, silly as they may be. But whether this is an American fast foodification of an otherwise you know kind of a powerful for a fucking lullaby and if you have not have the, had this experience you know if you don't if you don't jive with that one you probably haven't made it this far anyway but give it some time I don't know how old you are. I don't know how many deaths you've seen. I don't know how close they were to you. But if your parents are still alive and everybody that you loved is still alive, maybe you lost a grandpa. Buddy, you got a long way to go. And that's not my sense of this crowd at all. Um, so when I say something like the jumping point, the jumping off point for the Warhorse podcast, which you probably found investigating the the ongoing and impending, uh, very likely to be I mean it, you know, the ramifications of this civilizational collapse may echo for 10,000 years. They, they may, it might wipe the whole thing out so that not much at all echoes for 10,000 years. 
And um, working at the level of the sentence, you know, to to build a sense of where you're going. Hopefully right there we see some some coherence and some consistency and some indication of of uh where at least this version of things goes. And you know, I I would caution everybody and I have and that's again working at the level of the sentence here um people have asked you know dude I really want to know what you know the author of this of this novel thinks where are we going you know what uh is it going to be CW2 is it going to be world without rule of law and um, at this point you know I'm trying pretty even though I, I have mentioned doing some type of exegesis you know I'm I'm always of two minds about that and I'm I'm very reluctant to actually do it. I part of me doubts I ever really will. At the same time, you know, you can you can talk about the topical levels of a of a thing like uh without, you know, necessarily going into how much something really means to you. There's the dogs. Good boys. So, I, I, I hesitate because I don't know, you know, and you don't know. And we can look at all of these vectors, right? And some things we know have to happen. But most of the things that we think must happen really don't have to happen. We're we're operating on assumptions, probabilities, etc. And, and there's nothing particularly wrong with that other than falling into the the mechanization trap, you know, the philosopher's trap of of one, you know, not taking into consideration your own biases, which is always a, a net and not a fucking nightmare and two not taking into consideration not just your biases but 
the entanglement with which you you have in your your life the things that even you love in your life um ha, you know have obtained with either they were obtained through um through means of the entanglement um or they are simply entangled with the means by which you got them meaning simply put we use probabilities and assumptions in all manner of ways you know that's how if you have a good job you probably picked a good job if you have a good wife that's probably how you wound up with her if you have you know on and on and on And I'm not the first to say it. I'm probably not going to be the best to say it. But the pride, the feature within the human heart, this this strange, dark, but jeweled corner of the human heart in which pride seems to be forever installed is is something to take you know to pause on and take a look at and um there's a there's a prevailing uh, an entwined set of threads which i um with with spite, you know, with disdain refer to as Tilvel Hall Solar Pagans Nietzscheism. You know, taken at the individual level, I don't, I don't even care what, who's this, who, who represents this, this frame or that frame. It's, it, you know, probably a good dude. It totally doesn't matter. I'm not picking out individuals. And it's not even so much a Christian thing. I mean, I had the sense, you know, long before I became a Christian. And um this notion, you know, that after the fall we'll really be able to uh to right some wrongs. And that uh you know, it ties right back with this sense of it's a it's a version of folks who took on the liberal narrative regarding Christianity didn't look into the the actual historicity, you know, uh, the the exaggerations of the Crusades, um, misreadings of the context, all of this shit over and over in every single case that arrived in, you know, every liberal public school 
in the form of, you know, Christianity is this is this uh, great clouding force which has stunted progress or stunted. It's usually progress, right? Which is, as as we know, a big red flag right there. And uh, if you'll notice, it's that's the tieback, right? Like so, when the Tilville Hall guy or the solar. Um, Nietzschean, you know, Alexander the Great, neo-futuristic warlord, fucking dot com on Twitter, faggot, says, you know, this will all come around, or this will, like, so we'll have progress? Okay. So, you, you literally did not read one page of the Bible. You spent your entire youth trying to get laid you found college and found further rejection and you took some sort of shelter in um essentially you know even though these same these same characters will you know malign iron john which i i do join them in that and i did read iron john and i was appalled long long ago 90s i think i read that but, um, you know, a life spent outside the arena will, will arrive you at an idiotic, pathetic point of view like that. So it's quite popular, you know, on the, um, on the fringes of the Internet. And, um, for me, I just, I just avoid entirely the whole, the whole business. Because I see there, I see pride. And I see the operations of minds on the same levels of abstraction that got us here. So I do not see a great distance between them and the, the boomers. I see a lot actually of um, parallels. One of the things I really like about Heidegger is you you know you can get lost in I mean whole whole lives have been lost in trying to understand Heidegger of course I I choose not to do that I choose not to give my life to any gurus or any of these characters as mentioned before that's it's not the novelist's job and uh, take what I need copy what I need steal what I need. And as the phrase goes, you know, uh, the judgment of my work is, is kind of in the level of, you know, the taste by which I steal or with which I steal. Cultivation. Curation. This pride feature being the red flag that it is 
has a sort of I guess a corollary a sort of um, it's instantiated let's say it has been in my life in certain people and times and it relates to this um, this guy Gerard Rene Gerard I believe he has this whole um, sort of grand extrapolation on the Greek notion of mimesis, miming, mimicry, what have you. He went to Stanford. His most famous student is Peter Thiel. And of course, Peter Thiel is famous now for writing all kinds of checks you know, or uh, ghost writing all kinds of checks, which I don't know. And I don't, I mean, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, who cares? That's kind of how I, I came around to hear about this guy. And I, I gave him, I gave him some time and I listened to his, um, essentially what he does, uh, is he takes Christianity and then he re-engineers an interpretation of it to fit an absolutely juvenile and really, you know, um, back to the easy, simple thing, kind of easy, like not simplistic, but just sort of like, wow, dude, you, you sustained a career at Stanford and have built, you know, I think he's dead, so he's built some type of legacy and I'm not he sounds like a really nice guy, so uh, I'm going to bash his work and not him, of course. But um, if you examine it, just give it a cursory examination, you know, and give it give it the benefit of the doubt. Um, is there something that I'm missing here? Is there something uh, Titanic, you know, uh, importance? in this observation of, and you know, is it even an observation? Well, that's, that's this, this corollary instanti instantiation that I've seen throughout my whole life. And I've, I, I feel like it's a defining, you know, there is something here. Have you ever, do you ever, have you ever had the experience of speaking with somebody and you realize that you're speaking to Bob and Bob is mimicking James. And you both know James, you know, uh, he's a mutual buddy and he's, he's mimicking James. And I, have you ever noticed that? I've asked people this and not everybody has noticed this. So I don't know if it's more rare than it seems. Certainly you've seen, you've had the experience. This is very easy to, a very easy experience, very cheap to gather. If you go to a college, any campus, you start talking to some girls, go to the coffee shop, go to a party, go to a class, whatever. And you will notice um, 
a thread running through all these people, whether it's vocal fry or whether it's a certain wrinkle in the nose. And there's actually a level of culture to this, this type of mimicry. There is a kind of gross profane, you know, which is, it would be very common on many, many campuses. And it's as if certain girls of slightly higher intelligence have noticed this and chosen to make, you know, the currency of their communication something a little bit more snooty, you know, a little bit more refined. Maybe it's just a more difficult facial expression to make. Requires more self-control, more nuance, what have you. Have you had this experience? Listener of the Warhorse podcast? More and more, you know, I've come to see it in men. And of course, now I've, I, what, what I actually see a lot and what you probably see is a lot of men taking their persona, you know, their, their mask, their presentation to the world, the cues for that from women. Definitely you see this, you know, in the White House, in some of these um, officials, the mouthpieces. And um, there's, there's some stuff to uh, pry apart with this on, you know, on this uh, kind of like temporal, current, topical level. I don't you know it's it's you it's being done i don't care to do it but i want to tell you that i have always found this there's this you know idea that in the jordan petersonian once again clinical psychology branch of quote knowledge that conservatives have a higher disgust factor well i have a profound and visceral disgust when I have identified people mimicking other people. And over time, you know, 45 years of life, this this has led to a sort of... I don't believe that I have that brain uh, amoeba that you get from uh, unknowingly ingesting cat shit. I forget what it's called, of course. But... Um, Toxoplasmosis. Okay, so it came to me. But, um, I, I mean, maybe I have this, but it would be pretty odd. It would be worthy of an Edgar Allan Poe level of odd if, um, you know, my brain amoeba has then tricked me into uh, believing that mimesis really is a feature to take note of, but it's also something to regard with visceral contempt why do I say this and what the fuck does this have to do with the dreamer and the dream because I know uh, that if you made it through that podcast you know you are as we opened you know with a, a bit of a, uh, a montage on this on this episode 
uh, you might be floating out at sea. Hopefully it's warm tropical seas and you've got some rum and some other, you know, some hard tack or some, some jerky, what have you. And you've got your sailor comrades. I'm with you in deep waters, as the slogan goes. And I'm not here to, uh, to abandon you. I'm here to, to make a point through uh, dramatic juxtaposition. That's my job. And this, this idea, right, that Gerard has, and that's somewhat prevalent, I suppose, among the right-wing bodybuilder crowd or whoever other fucking crowd. Again, nothing against right-wing. I'm not a bodybuilder, but, and I'm not even right-wing, but I sympathize. Um, it's probably where I'd be somewhat categorized. Though, I don't, I don't know. I don't understand all the categories, and I just don't care enough to um, to get involved or suss them out. So, I, I notice, you know, there again, there's probably various levels of sophistication, intelligence, intelligence operations, um, you know, and that's the type of stuff that I don't, I don't, it's like gossip. I mean, it's, its impact on my daily life, um, my oh, my worldview, and my behavior is all but non-existent. And so, um, it's just you know, it's just sort of uh, blips and bleeps at the edge of the the screen, so to speak. But but it's it's significant enough in that. I came across this stuff and analyzed in my way what appears to me to be a very uh, shoddy, maybe the guy was just getting old in the lectures I was listening to and he doesn't care anymore. He's, he's hooked enough fish with this line that, you know, essentially there's, there's always a sacrifice um, in order to quell war and bring peace. And um, this is sort of embodied in Christ, and we are, we are told to become, you know, this... Um, but, you know, we're walk, we walk with Christ. That's what Christians sort of do. Again, it's kind of a Schofield Bible-y, um, bearded guy in the sky version of it, which is itself kind of a hallmark of a lot of this modern liberal interpretive grand vision, you know, of history sort of stuff, which as we've done in multiple episodes, we've eviscerated this type of shit just simply by gaining clarity on what the Greek version of the original word, even logos, right? the word and the word was good a logos changes everything changed everything for me um, and one wonders how much in that book if, if we could develop an AI uh, instead of trying to sell more stickers and shoes and beachfront property or whatever they want you to do you know develop an AI version of the Bible 
would be, you know, with with truly accurate uh, translations. Gosh, that would be neat. So, I'm gonna take a sip of my my beverage if I can find it. There it is. Pardon me. And um, you get the idea, right? So Gerard essentially is just saying um, Christianity, what, evolved? Okay, so I guess myths evolve over time. Nobody questions it. Well, there's questions of distance and time that you just don't understand. Right, okay. So we're back to employing a completely nebulous and uncertain, un, you know, truly unquantifiable notion uh, in order to justify theoretical explanatory power. All right. I don't, I don't buy this at all, and I doubt you do. And I think that it's a it's it's illustrative. For our, for our time, you know, the push-pull material, if you will, uh, considerations. Because I think a lot of people who are very dissatisfied with the, um, the liberal worldview have glommed on to even Christians, you know, to so-called have glommed on to um, an idea that there is going to be progress and that this progress will obtain once our enemies are, are out of the way. You've heard me use the word enemy many times. You do, we, I have enemies, you have enemies, we have enemies. And we also know that not only is, is you know, um, infiltration and subversion, controlled opposition, all of these are just time-worn. These are going back to Machiavelli, if not, before, you know, certainly before even that. Um, we have that, but then we also have, you know, this other enemy to contend with, which, again, is pride. This pride of uh, what is like an epistemological type of pride, um, and you know, even if we have a kind of wide mind, um, a very open view of things, and not you know, not everybody, but you will run into this this character once again, probably operating on some some heavy. I don't want to use the word mimesis or mimetic, but, um, you know, if we had a, that's what it is. So we'll just, we'll live with it. But, um, because it kind of goes deeper. And if I can, if I can steer myself back to go, to go back there, I will, because it's, it's, it's like pride and there's this underlying, uh, pervading shame, which I think gives rise to 
a passion almost, a desire to, you'd rather mimic somebody else in order to manipulate the person you're talking to than go to the woodshed and examine yourself, your, your own behavior, your past, your history, your familial baggage, where you come from, the trajectory you're on. Any of those things can be done in so many different ways that are more pleasurable, you know, than just basic woodshedding. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, excitement and joy and um, adventure, actually, in, in approaching those things uh, earnestly. But I, I, I think we know not only do you run into these people here and there in, in, the, in the world, but I believe that the entire media... The talking heads of all types um, the players you know uh the visible players at the heads and in almost all positions of power do seem to be operating on a type of almost automaton level mimetic like an urgency of mimesis you know this kind of goes some distance to explaining those times where um people are maybe quit like whoever you know they're in the establishment but they're questioned um Sanjay Gupta I only I saw like a two minute clip where where he was sort of backpedaling and Joe Rogan was was doing his best impersonation of um of a truth seeker there for a minute and you know as again to his credit he he did push it beyond but you know as an observer you're like fuck just open the closet door, let Alex Jones come out with his um, verbal hatchet and skin this motherfucker alive. When this would happen to me as a kid and I would see, you know, some, some neighbor kid acting like some other neighbor kid, I would lambaste that fucker. I would call it out right there and then and, you know, I'm a kid. I don't fully understand. I'm just reacting in this, with this disgust. You know, this Petersonian sort of level of disgust, which I bring up to identify this feature of disgust is not just about poop. You know, disgust is not just about disease. This doesn't make me a conservative, Mr. Peterson, Dr. Peterson. This, I believe, is another example on the Warhorse podcast where um, the dogmatic, the um, epistemologically assured, 
the contained, you know, the boxed in these alchemical terms, staring into the mirror. Anyway, so as a kid, you know, I didn't understand the level of like ad hoc um, brain surgery that I was applying to those kids. Um, but I didn't care and I don't care now. And um, I only wish that I could go back and and find all of the kid versions of the of these people, you know. I'll give Tucker a pass. Uh, um, he deserves a pass. But almost to a man, you know, or a woman after that, right on down the line. And what, cons- what, what our, you know, kind of concern is, is that you get to the line and then you have the, the no longer mainstream, the, um, the non-made men, uh, you know, and there are larger accounts and smaller accounts and um, a lot of talk about good intentions or malintentions or whatever. But insofar as we are all subject to this, you know, to coveting and to going great lengths oftentimes to sort of uh, bejewel and elaborate and embroider around our pride. Um, It strikes me that this mimetic plague Certainly made worse through the vast, um, many-tiered levels of homogenization of monoculture. Again, on all levels, right? On the level of the media, on the level of the soybean. On the level of the worldview, and the micro-worldview, and the extinction of how many microcultures. How many versions of American Nordic culture existed from 1870 and then started to die out in 1960? Or of Ukrainian American culture? Or, Amer- uh, you know, I mean, just go down the list, right? I was going to say Armenian. I kind of like Armenian Americans. They seem to be holding out. Some of those qualities have remained well. So, this mimetic plague, my belief is that it has entered into our dream. My belief is that the cryptocracy, as Hoffman describes it, has accomplished this, again, through mass consolidation of of so many aspects of our consumption and um, in E. Michael Jones's terms, you know, the slaughter of cities 
this has contributed. And finally, the the twin pillars of Los Angeles and New York, and their uh, their incestuous, uh, you know, isolationist control of of the media going back many years plays another key role. Um, as Hoffman points out, you know, the Videodrome is very closely related to Ewan Cameron, the psychic driving. These experiments took place. This is real shit. People were strapped to gurney beds for months at a time, dosed with huge amounts of LSD, and basically reenact that scene. You know, what is it? Uh, I forget what he called it. Ludwig's something or other in Clockwork Orange. That shit really happened. That's actually done. And here's the revelation of the method. They wanted you to know that they did it. They wanted you to know that they did it. And they want you to know that they got away with it. Because in you knowing that, the ground for shame is made fertile. And I believe that shame underlies this mimesis is another you know there are many reasons I'm not going to even justify this half-assed you know it's it's basically a, a half-assed deconstructionist takedown or attempted takedown of of Christianity it's certainly sure as fuck did not in you know do any and and I don't think his acolytes did either I'm talking of Gerard here and and the mimetic theory I do not believe at all that they applied this with any rigor to actual Christianity. It may very well just be, once again, that they applied it to the Christianity that was prevalent around them. The Schofield bullshit version. Did they go to Orthodoxy? Did they go to Mount Athos? Did they ask Seraphim Rose? Did they ask any other? other? There's Orthodox priests in every town. The fact that they're not jumping out of their out of their out of their cloaks, you know, in frustration is testament to their uh, pretty relative holiness, I would say. But um you know, Hoffman Mimesis, the Videodrome, the revelation of the method, they wanted you to know about you and Cameron and many quote conspiracy theorists have done their work for them by making sure that this made it into, you know, Adam Curtis documentaries and stuff like that. I'm not particularly sure that it made it into an Adam, but that's the type of level that it needs to hit. Um, certainly JFK, you probably notice the parallels between the mimetic story as interpreted by Gerard and the, um, the killing of the king, the wicker man. And the old tale of that I imparted to you about um, these tribes who would, if you want to go to war, we'll go to war. But if you're going to lead it, then you're going to die when we're done. It doesn't sound like, that level of sophistication doesn't sound like me to me, uh, you know, the types of people that would um, be confused about whether or not something was an, an evolution of a... Uh, of a myth that was perhaps brought over on a spice boat, you know, uh, in years back when my grandfather was a child. I mean, fuck you. 
Fuck you and your fucking stand-in for rigor. Fuck you and your fucking embroidery of your pride. Fuck you and the fucking shitheads who held you up and held your stories up. And while we're at it, fuck all you fucking retards that eat this stuff up. I understand you're probably like 21, still jacking off, haven't gotten laid ever in your life, and you deserve a break. But for Christ's sake, pull your balls together, tuck your fucking shirt in, as Quintus Curtis says, and just go out there and talk to a fucking girl. You know, start your life. What does this have to do? It has to do with pride, buddy. Pride and shame seem to me to be, you know, twin blades. One stabs out, the other stabs in. Destruction on all levels. Through the revelation of the method, that is revealing the method, we do whatever we want, keep it from you, and then dangle it in your face some months or years later and watch you squirm as we recycle it in another form, one shade off, one shade different, and that starts to sink into your subconscious because you're standing there reeling. Well, fuck me. Some of these occurrences do not square with my conception of the American mythos, sir. I will have you know that I, I will not abide. I will not abide. Well, when you don't talk to anybody about it because you're afraid that you're going to be called a nutcase or a conspiracy theorist or whatever else, you end up abiding by it. That's the basic operation. And I'm sure every one of you knows that guy. Because what happens with film and what happens with the news and the flickering screen timed perfectly to agitate you just enough is that your amygdala, which is your fight or flight like um, base camp. You know, this is a big, big deal. Your amygdala is made dysfunctional. You've certainly heard the stories about, or you know, the studies about um, the brain or the mind or your I hesitate to use your and mind, but I, I will abide the brain. The brain's, you know, inability to, on some level, notice the difference between images flickering on a screen and those flickering in reality. I believe you could get a long way in understanding the difference between the boomer, total go-along, you know, deep, 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 uh, terminal cognitive dissonance, terminal Dunning-Kruger, and, you know, the more varied cases that you have with um, Gen X and the like, I think that a lot of this can be explained, actually, by, you know, an earlier, a more sophisticated understanding just of flickering images. Basically, the boomers got it worst, and they got it first. So, anyway, the amygdala is hijacked. This is what the Videodrome, the film that Hoffman examines, and he lifts the name of the film, and he identifies the various mystical toponymy 
surrounding it, you know, in uh, pop culture, in, in, in the real world, etc., in his way. As the amygdala is hijacked, um, huge swaths of, of viewers, you know, of populations are, are, are sent off from the natural course further already than they were. They were already engaged in Uncle Ted's substitutional activity. They were already struggling to reconcile things like World War One and World War Two, or if they, you know, were just getting, you know, just move the timeline back if you need to. The Industrial Revolution. Um, you know, the God is dead problem. The Schofield Bible. The loss of their cultures if they came to America. The loss of their cultures or the changing of of those cultures if they were still in Europe. The next move, once the amygdala is hacked, hijacked, is that the self, that's why I was hesitant to say yourself, because I'm not Jung, I'm not Freud, I'm not Jordan Petersonian, and I'm an Orthodox Christian, and we believe in the, in the sanctity of the self and a certain version of the self. And I did not grow up with this version of the self, this view of it, but it rings true to me, as with everything else in the church, rings true to me, which is why I chose to... I didn't even have to convert because I wasn't anything before. I just became... In the church, we have a self, okay? This is not, this is an inviolable thing. This is, this is not, you know, a, commodif- a commodified unit. This is not subject to uh, prevalent notion, psychological literature, you know. Um, there are some, there's some psychological literature that, that seems to be kind of on the right course, but as far as I, you know, can grasp it, we have a multiplicity, whether that is, you know, the self and the noose, whether that is the self, the noose and spiritual or, you know, inner logo, logoi, logi, these structures somewhat similar to archetypes, but I think that it's wise to mark a distinction between the, you know, the union archetypal thing and, you know, Jung came to a lot of stuff through seemingly sort of like revelation. So you got, I, I, I like the guy, I allow for his influence and I just take it with a grain of salt like anybody else. So I just, some of these distinctions I mark because I don't know how you, the viewer view these things. You may be far more read into them than I, and hell, run with it if you want. But the point is, the self, insofar as it is a multiplicity, okay? And if you don't buy that yet, just consider the unavoidable fact of your interconnectedness, not only to your family and to your friends, 
but to the world itself, to the microbiome, to the beef that you eat, the potatoes you eat, the insects, the insects that fertilized the fruit that you ate, or the fruit, you know, uh, that the animals ate, that you ate. The sun, right? You live in a context. So evolution and prevailing scientism want to take this one way. And in so doing, the self is fractured. It's further fractured by intentional psychological operations, which once again are thoroughly documented. Um, and it's noteworthy which ones are documented. Um, you know, the classics, the real, <laughs> the ones that really should stick in everybody's craw. Um, Operation Mockingbird, of course. MK Ultra. Yeah, we can just leave it at that for the, for the time being to make the point. These were never shut down. These were, uh, you know, at the time, the revelation again of the method uh, with regard to Operation Mockingbird. I think it was admitted they had 400 odd operatives at all, including the highest levels of all major media. And yet Anderson Cooper still parades his little ass around the fucking screen every night and boomers lap it up. What's the quote that Hoffman read? From uh, Louis Celine, I think. The public wants to go down on its knees for money and bullshit. Well, there's a tendency there. Is that a mimetic tendency? Maybe. Is that a feature of the fallen heart? Made even worse in modern, you know, well, the human heart, I should say, and made worse in modern conditions. Maybe, probably. Either way, if you are a one malevolent son of a bitch, you will see this as a grand opportunity to enact psychological operations at a massive scale and on a pretty tight budget, you know? You don't, you don't need to send out you know, a hit squad or a fucking stake, what do they call it? A stalker, uh, you know what I'm talking about, gang stalking to every dissident's house. Not a problem. It's the, it's the reservation model. It's the, the farming and ranching model. So, you can see now perhaps the dream and the importance of the dream is starting to is starting to become clear a little bit more clear you can you can you know what i'm what i'm going to show you hopefully is is that you're not floating in the ocean after episode 6 you're on firm ground it's just new ground or it's old ground to you and and you're standing over there a happy as a clam that there's another guy in the world who's seen what you've seen. So the self, the, the amygdala was hijacked. This led to wide open, you know, self. The multiplicities of the self. 
insofar as the part of those are your family members and your your local culture all of this is eroded and degraded over time and the space you know within your interiority the space the sense okay we need to speak in sensory terms here i we have to let go of the scientism and you know take up once again you call it the language of myth you call it the language of story to me these are sensory things um that's one thing that i'm pretty proud of in writing you know there's a sense there's there i'm doing my goddamnedest to impart to you a sensory experience and there's a purpose behind that just like there was a purpose behind you know making sure that the steak sizzles on the advertisements that were psychologically raping us as the self is fractured you know it that means separation from dad that means separation from brother and sister that means separation from the neighbor kids down the road and this continues you know this trend of atomization that we've heard so much about over the last 10 years or so and it's true right now even though many in our camp many on our side have talked about community and its importance only a very teeny tiny fraction of people aware of that have have uh, altered their lives you know to become accountable it's very difficult it's very very difficult to admit why because the binding the tie that binds this together is the shame the shame of realizing that you have no foundation that you were granted no foundation that your inheritance was not only robbed from you but it's mostly been already forgotten that's very shameful and it's at a level of shame that's unavoidable and you know the daemon level of your subconscious knows all this if you don't and you know it as a, at a, at a, certainly the subconscious level if not a sort of again uh kinesthetic level you know the level of the body the body knows as vanderkolk said the body keeps the score and shame translates into how you hold yourself and how you hold yourself is mimicked that part is true especially if it gets you know that one guy on tv laid um how else do you explain in a matter of maybe 10 or 15 years going from you know essentially arnold and stallone van damme what have you as you know um pedestalized characters people to look up to uh 
Yeah, you had kind of a transition there with sort of a buff Brad Pitt, you know, standing in and bam, all of a sudden, you know, I don't know who the current current film stars are, but um, they're fake and gay for sure. And, you know, that's the same with music. That's the same with novelists, you know. Uh, hell, I don't know how many of you already knew about James Elroy, but I mean, that's a son of a bitch who'll give you a fight in an alley. But, uh, you know, is Jonathan Franzen going to put up a, put up a fucking fight? I mean, there was a time in, you know, even in my lifetime where being a novelist, like you had to, you had to have an edge, you know, you couldn't just, you could be, you know, sort of like your, your, your Gaddis or, or Pinchon or whatever, but I mean, maybe that's why they're always hiding, you know, maybe that's why they're not at the bars. McCarthy spent a lot of time in bars, a lot of time in ranches, a lot of times over the border, a lot of time traveling in general, and I don't think, you know, it's not to say that novelists are super tough guys, it's just to say, look how far we've fallen in such a short amount of time. So, we're at about an hour 15 and we're just getting rolling. All right, so what we'll do is, is uh, you know, kind of tidy up this section. And then in the next section begins the dream. And begins the clarification as best I can do in my... I'm not the dreamer, and neither are you. But I have awoken to at least this fact. And um, I would like to leave the non-subscriber with this one clarification. This is not a metaphor. I am not simply talking about, you know, dream another dream. Dream, dream a dream of, the, of your true self. That ain't what we're talking about here. This is not a podcast sponsored by Hallmark or um, Chicken Soup for the Soul or anything like that. What I am literally talking about is the interface between a no-shit, real-deal, spiritual war ongoing, outside of time, passed on through revelation, myth, legend, daemons, all manner of supernatural phenomena. And your banal, soft, near meaningless, likely less than ideally masculine life. That's what I'm talking about. I'm saying that the road out is not through science, is not through working out, is not through supplements 
All of these things can be fascinating. That's wonderful. You're a nerd. I have my nerd things too. Great. When you, let's put it this way. If God cares enough about your role in the dream that he sends you suffering of a magnitude sufficient to jar you out of the hole, the box, the recursive mirrored room that you live in, and you are gifted the type of suffering that will require of you just so you can function, I don't mean at your job, I mean to get up out of bed and take a piss and not just piss in the bed. That's maybe the level of uh, jarring, you know, impact that is required sometimes. And if you're lucky enough to receive that and you have the sand, the sack, the grit to extricate yourself, what you will find, what I guarantee you, you will find from personal experience for, for, for free. I'm giving you, I'm giving this shit away for free because it's that important. Yep, I want you to give up a latte and give me five bucks so I can fucking support my family. But listen good. If you find yourself in that level of hell, that much pain, if you're able to extricate yourself, what you will undoubtedly learn is that life is but a dream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Even I take issue with the word but in the, in the lullaby. But you're talking about something that's being transferred to children. You're talking about something that, as David Lynch phrased it, is the ancient question. We have organized ourselves around the symbol of money. David Milch told me this. We have forsaken the symbol of the cross. This was not a mimetic phenomena that simply bubbled up from random combinations and permutations um, and happenstance until one crafty shaman, you know, cobbled it together. If you are not graced with that level of... um, impact of suffering, to which I 
you know, I, I just referred our, um, our lesser listeners to hopefully, I mean, if they get it, then they're not lesser. I'll tell you that because it does seem to work that way. If you can handle it, you might get it, but not everybody needs that. And so if you're not on that road, Apply yourself, perhaps, to unraveling, you know, the butt. And uh, bringing that to the level, the level of the adult. The level of this life. Because, yeah, that's seizing everything back from the cryptocracy. Yep. That's part of it. What's the other part of it? The other part of it would be returning to the fucking jumping off point that we opened this hour up with. Did we jump off? Did you get the chance to jump off? No. Did the, you know, the mankind jump off? No. You have one life to live. And if you want to cough it up by working for other people, or worse, letting people inject shit into your body so that they can enact just this, you know, absolutely illogical, twisted fuckery, one, you're not listening to this podcast, we know that, but for Christ's sake, we have to comment on it, you know, every once in a while. That ain't, that ain't the game. That's not... Yeah, this does sound a little bit like chicken soup for the soul, but that's not what we were born for. That's not what it means to be made in the image of God. God has the power to create. Man has the power to create. We may very well live in the dream of the Son, of the Father. And part of that deal may very well be that we can create within that dream. But if you can't even get to the point where, you know, we need to move way past Eliade's distinction between the sacred and profane. We are the subjects of the experiment. We are still those creatures to which Eliade applied his, you know, powers of distinction. That's just one little nerd. And then there's the rest of us. The revenge of the nerds. This has been commented on. It's shit like that, you know, the timing of a ridiculous movie. And yet, its applicability to the story of the next 20, 30 years. That's a dream. That's not 
a scientific outcome, you know, somewhat probabilistically predictable through various algorithms had they been available to IBM at the time. That's the planet we're in. That's the, the realm, the world, whatever the fuck this is. That's where we, that's where we are living. All right, that's it for this hour. And subscribers, stick with me. We're going to come back hard in hour two. And as I've said, build out, flesh out this armature. Because I think that we are, it's taking shape now. Non-subscribers, for shame. My God. Um... Check out the website, goldengoatguild.net. Check out the Instagram, Golden Goat Guild. Uh, five bucks on Patreon. You get all the notes. You get all the behind-the-scenes stuff. And you get, most importantly, hour two. And so the whole thing starts to cohere. If you're into it and you're already um, subscribed, thank you so much. Sharing it with your friends. Um, people who owe you money, your loved ones, is much appreciated. And, um, yeah, I think that's about it. (laughs) 